Before we begin, I'm happy to announce the release of my newest book, Conscious Conduit, A Dowser's Guide to the Business of Ascension. This book is a new addition to my first book released in 2018. In this revised and expanded edition, I go into more detail about how you can use dowsing to expand your own consciousness, improve your life, and how to turn your dowsing hobby into a thriving business. The book is available in print or ebook form and retails for only $9.99. I'll be bringing copies with me whenever I make personal appearances, but you can get your own copy today at Amazon.com. And now, for today's podcast. Welcome to High Vibes with your host, Bill G. At High Vibes, we're looking into what it means to be a fourth-dimensional being in an ever-changing world. We hope that by listening to our podcast, you can feel a greater sense of peace and connection as we collectively raise our energetic vibration to the next level. And now for today's podcast. Hello and welcome to High Vibes. I'm your host, Bill G, and today's special guest is Jim Reedy. Jim is a Krupalo certified yoga teacher, an iRest yoga nidra teacher, a holistic health instructor, and yoga teacher mentor, as well as a Thai massage practitioner and mindful improv comedy instructor. Prior to the pandemic, Jim was running the Yoga Center in Concord, New Hampshire, where he had been teaching yoga for nearly 30 years. These days, he is teaching in the park in Concord, and he is also doing online programs via Zoom. Jim's practice blends the physical benefits of yoga with its power to awaken compassion, self-awareness, and self-love. In his classes, students discover how to relax deeply, develop physical strength and flexibility, release tension, and find serenity of mind, body, and spirit. So, Jim, welcome to the show. Uh, so, uh, let's let's just go... Before we get into, um, I want to really talk about the mindful improv because um, I, I've heard you talking about this before and I've been just wanting to really sink my teeth into that because um, I'm an old theater geek myself. I know through high school and college, I just love doing improv and I've never really thought about it as a means of therapy before or a means to uh, ah. face one's shadow or to um, to, to release um, trauma or to release that sort of thing. So I, re I really want to get into that. Before we, but before we do that, um, I just let's just uh, give the audience an idea of who you are and where you came from and what your story is. Super. So, all right. So back in the uh, the nineties, you were uh, an attorney, and you clerked for David Souter. So that and that's that's pretty impressive. So. Yeah. What prompted you to go from lawyering to yoga? I was burning out and didn't realize it from being an attorney for about 10 years of my life. And I wanted to be a lawyer originally because I wanted to empower people. That was something I wrote on every one of my law school applications. And I wanted to help folks understand how the systems work in our country. And I did not know how they worked. So I needed to go to law school to at least get a foundational learning. And 
and how the, the major systems in our country work. Um, after a while, though, without consciously realizing it, a part of me was feeling not empowered myself, that money and um, um, I don't know, property ownership and the things that I dealt with as a lawyer, I started to realize were not the real power or at least the, the power that I was lacking. And I was not um, self-aware. I was, I always thought of myself as self-aware, but I wasn't living in the present. My mind was working so, so much to anticipate things and going over the things I did in the past and trying to improve them. In any case, I, I was burning out without realizing it. And at some point, I just couldn't, it was almost, I, I've heard other people say this, it's almost like I couldn't move my legs or my feet forward to keep going in the direction I was going. It was something in my gut, in my core, that was saying, you, you've got to pivot or you've got to slow down and, and, and make a change. And I, I didn't know what that change was going to be. But anyways, there's, that's the beginning of an answer. Like something uh, intuitive was, was talking to me. And maybe for the first time in my adult life, I w listened to it. I was able to hear it and actually responded uh, in a way that was in alignment with what I was hearing. I, I've heard it said from people who who are who are going through depression and that sort of thing that going through life is like walking through knee deep in muddy water where it's that where it's it's hard to move forward or motivate oneself to move forward because you get so tired because it feels like everything's pushing against you that you're that you have no forward momentum is that kind of like what you're you're describing here it was almost exactly what it felt like i would take away the water part it just felt like really thick mud mm -hmm. it was very very uh what's the word is it viscous it it, it was yeah very hard and not it literally it wasn't literally physically hard to move my body i was still working out exercising trying to you know get rid of tension that way but in terms of moving in the direction of that my career I thought my career was on I just couldn't do that yeah and and that's exactly what I said to people I just I feel like I'm walking through mud uh, yeah. we just before the show we also uh, discovered that we had a shared experience of the Kripalu, uh yoga center used to love going to the Kripalu. in fact we still get their magazine and we just love their programs and they just got it's such a, just a wonderful place just to to go now was your discovery of Kripalu kind of when you were going through this transformation? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was about a month or two after I left my my last job in the legal profession. A fellow that this is so many connections that are going through my head now. This fellow, he was about 10 years older than I was. I knew him uh, because we were both on the food co-ops board of directors. I think I may have recruited him, or, or at least, I, no, I met him there, and I recruited him to join a men's group that I was in. It's somewhere along this line, these lines, in 1993, I was at his office, and he pulled out this Kripalu magazine, which you've just mentioned, and he said, I think you're ready for this. And I looked at it, and there was a woman on the cover, probably you know, looking very beautiful and, and beatific, and sitting next to a lake and the sunrise was coming up. It was just a really beautiful setting. And it was, for those who don't know anything about Kripalu, it's a retreat center in Lenox, Massachusetts, the largest yoga retreat center in the country, as far as I know. And um, 
And I had seen things like that while I was a lawyer and as a law student. And in the back of my mind, I would always hear a voice say, yeah, in some other lifetime, you might do something like that. But the idea of going on a retreat was so foreign to me. But he was right. Within a, a month or two, I was booked for an R&R program there. And I went down there and it really shifted the course of my life. I learned about the inner child, not intellectually. I learned experientially about the inner child through a 90-minute workshop. And I've been speaking with and listening to my inner child ever since for the last, what is it, almost 30 years. And I, I didn't tell you this, but the first time I ever tried improv was at Kripalu. Oh, really? Yeah. It was during an R&R offering during the afternoon. And I, I was there with my partner and we decided to go do it. We were assisting another program, but we, we checked it out. And she's an artist by, by trade. And, and uh, she had a fun time with it, a very easy time with it. And I was terrible. I was awful because I, I was so in my head. I was, I, I was supposed to be the funny one in the relationship. And I wasn't in this case. She was she was getting all the laughs and and I was just feeling like a stiff and because I was thinking I was always a few seconds behind what was going on. Uh -huh. Probably what I came up with was brilliant, but it just didn't fit the moment. <laughs> so it was a, a whole different part of my brain that um, that was not necessary uh, that I was trying to navigate with, if that right. makes sense. Interesting. Okay. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this, um, this creative improv, this, uh, this mindful improv. Because uh, like I said, I was, a, I was in, all through high school and college. Um, I loved doing improv. In fact, that was my favorite part of any kind of acting class that I took was was doing the improv exercises. I want to ask you a question about that. Yeah, I think this will tie into everything. What was it about improv that was lighting you up so much? It lights you up. I'm looking at your face right now and you're lighting up as you talk about it. Yeah. The, uh, what light me, lights me up about it is just letting go of that inhibition in me. And because I'm generally someone who has a tendency to overthink, I yeah. am somebody who doesn't really let easily let go in social situations. I'm like the wallflower and whatever. But when you're doing improv, you can, you know, you're, you're given a character and like, you know, you are this, you're, you, you know, you're, you're the, the priest walking into a bar <laughs> and it's like, yeah. and then they're like, I can do that. I can, I can just play the role and then just play it over the top and just, and just be the most over the top priest who walks through the bar <laughs> type of person that you could possibly be in that situation and then uh, and then you're playing off the other people and you know in improv they call it the yes and so you know I, mm. I'll I say yes to whatever that person has just brought to the scene and then you add something more to it and you add more and more and more and that's what makes it funny or dramatic or whatever however you want to do that so uh so let's let's first start with comedy and let's move on to the dramatic stuff because you said the dramatic stuff's really been important for you you know dramatic yeah. improv as well so how do you use uh comedic improv as a, a device for healing well i'm going to start by picking up on something you just said and what, what i was interpreting from your response is that it was very liberating for you in some ways yes, absolutely and the way I would describe it with my clients and my students is that 
what it's doing is allowing Bill, in this case, and me and everyone else, to bring forth uh, ego subparts, ego subparts, or uh, parts of our personality that we have normally uh, not welcomed out into the open because they're not deemed appropriate within our workplace or our marriage or relationship or whatever we're whatever walk of life we're walking we haven't found a place for these aspects of ourself and this is energy oftentimes that's being suppressed repressed and so be, to be given an opportunity uh, like you had i so envy you being able to do that in high school and beyond to college because um, i was i was always trying to do everything by the book and follow the rules and and you got an early taste of that where instead of following the rules and doing what others want me to do, what improv is teaching me is let's listen to what my inner impulses are wanting to do and, and let them come out into the open. It's, it's something I call in my yoga nidra practice, it's welcoming otherwise refused parts of myself. So welcoming them, and this is really important, in a letting go kind of way. And to use improv terminology, which you'll fully understand, is that when the scene's over, it's over. It, it's not been recorded usually, and you can talk about it maybe later with your friends, but you move on to the next game or the next scene, right. and you let it go. So that thing that you welcomed out into the open, it's not because you want to live in that character, that over-the-top character that you mentioned, mm -hmm. but it's just you want to give those parts of yourself, my parts of myself, a, a chance to breathe. So that energy can flow and that's the liberating part about it is that and by letting those pieces out you can you can face them you can uh like if you're playing a, a character who is uh, particularly mean or somebody who is being um overly critical and whatever there's a part of you there's a wounded part of you that comes out and that's and that's something else I notice in improv as well is that your inner wounding can come out in a character because I remember distinctly uh, when I was doing an improv exercise in college and I had to play somebody who was a parent who was hypercritical of their child and all of the horrible things that my parents said to me came out in that scene yeah and um and the person on the other side was like looking at my eyes like holy crap <laughs> i've had a few of those moments at a stage too <laughs> yeah. yeah we can really impact our scene partner as you as you experienced there because of the authenticity with which you were playing you didn't just in your head conjure up what would a mean parent do i'm going to suggest that you were channeling one or both of your parents uh, in, in certain circumstances of their life when they when they were interacting with you. I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, that it was relatively easy for you to go there. Oh, yeah. It, it, because it was all there, right? It was all in your cellular memory. And that goes back to what I was saying is that we want to bring that stuff out into the open because it is here. And some people might think, oh, you shouldn't play mean characters because it might make you meaner. Um, but in this case, no, it's the other way around. It's already inside of us. And we want to bring it out into the open. And when we do that, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think we can learn things like 
you know, my parents did seem mean at the time when they did this and this and this. And if I were a parent, I wouldn't do it that way. On the other hand, I do understand more about where they were coming from uh, because they were angry and they were feeling stressed out about this or that. In other words, we start to get a fuller picture of people when we inhabit them, if that makes sense. Some people love to play villains. Uh, they're fun to play. And I think one of the reasons people love to play those is because those are the parts of ourselves that we haven't allowed ourselves to inhabit. And they're, they're part of our animal nature to be what we, our ego mind might call mean when we're trying to repress it, but it's really, um, what would we call it? It's, it's just vital energy. We need to be ferocious or fierce to survive in the animal kingdom. And I'm not talking about human beings in our civilized society right now, but just as animals, which we are in our DNA is the need to be fierce at times, um, strong, strong willed, stubborn, uh, to move instinctively quickly, uh, to be physically violent. Yeah. Uh, most animals or to, or to run away to, to adrenalize. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So we get to bring all that stuff out into the open so, and let it flow. Go. So when you do a scene, you set up a scene with, uh, the people in your, in your class and you are and you say it's a, a comedic scene or, or a dramatic scene it really doesn't matter i guess and a moment like that happens where one of your students has a a channeled moment where a lot of that that inner pain comes out in the scene what do you do you usually at that point when the scene's done you, you all sit down and you say okay let's talk about this and let's process this and let's 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 clear this Yes. One of the ways that I started to distinguish the style of improv that I was teaching from what we might just call ordinary improv comedy was that I was making space after every scene, every game for people to share, just as I would in any yoga workshop that I lead or conscious communication workshop or many, many other workshops that, uh, that I've led, I always want to give space for people to process what they just experienced so they can integrate it. They, first of all, so they can understand it um, and understand. And so I was doing the same with improv, this feeling the need because I needed that. I needed that first time that I tried Kripalu's uh, version of improv. I needed someone to sit down with me afterwards and saying, how do you feel, Jim? And I'd say, I feel really ashamed. I feel um, embarrassed and frustrated. I, I needed to say that, but I didn't have anybody to say that to. So anyway, yes, to answer your question, yes, we, we would take time when someone connects with something that is authentic and moving and um, always make the space for that. And then I started to notice that that's the kind of, that's the part of the improv that I really loved. It, I noticed its potential for healing and growth. And so that's what caught my attention about um, dramatic improv is I, I started learning that and started realizing it's even more adaptable to doing healing and growth work because now what I can, can do and have done with students is intentionally go into those areas to invite people to be on the lookout for making their characters very authentic um, based on things uh, very vulnerable, I should say as well vulnerable and authentic. Just give them those general guidelines and say, see if you can find something vulnerable about this character. And so, of course, they have to go into their real you know, history, their internal 
emotional cycle, psychohistory. And that makes the scene so much more powerful in the sense that the person working with you might have might have gotten shocked. But if they knew it was coming, they could play their version of a victim or what, what they felt like as a small child when they were berated or you know treated in a way that was harsh and purge some of that, if you will. And that can make a really powerful interaction back and forth when both players are on board. Yeah, I remember that also the other part of that scene was we switched roles. Ah, Afterwards, awesome. Where they, they played the critical parent and then I played the the child and I played it oppositionally defiant. And yeah. so, you know, here they were being the, the, the you know, they were they were channeling some some critical part that they were getting from their parent. And then I was be because I was never an oppositionally defiant child. I was the most yeah. obedient child you could ever yeah. imagine. But when push came to shove, there was an inner part of me that really, really, really wanted to rebel and just, yeah, you know, turn that around. And in that improv moment, again, I was able to express that. And again, you know, the the, the my poor partner at the end of the scene uh. was like. <laughs> What the heck? It was my turn to be mean. <laughs> Kudos to whoever came up with that idea, whether it was your teacher or you or your partner, to switch roles. I would take that now. If I were in that class and I was in the role of teacher, I would say, let's do it a third and a fourth time now, too. So I'm going to ask Bill to play his parent as a nice parent, as a kind, the opposite of that mean version. And then I'm going to ask Bill to play uh, that get along, go along to get along child, perhaps maybe play the child that you really were. Right. So that we're, we're getting you to play the opposites. And I don't know if in, in your, all of your trainings, all of your wonderful credentials that I've only heard a little bit about, um, if you have something the equivalent of perfectly paired opposites, the, the magic of welcoming perfectly paired opposites, because in, in so doing, we're really welcoming the whole and it's only really source that can welcome everything. And so we're really stepping into source when we're able to do that. So that's why that's what I'm doing in the uh, dramatic improv that I'm teaching is having students start to switch roles and then we'll do the scene again. And, and I ask, how would you want to see that done differently? How would you want your we make one person the center of attention? So if it was your if it was your scene and you're saying, I'm going to play my parents this time, then I would ask Bill how would you like to play it this next time and how do you want your child to respond to you yeah I, oh, I love that you were you had i don't know if you stumbled into it you might say it doesn't sound like it was by design but you you tripped into something that i think is inherent in um, in improv it's this capacity to heal us yeah. from our past uh, viola spolin maybe you've heard of her she's considered the the originator of modern improv in the in in the world, but she was based in uh, Chicago and then I think LA. Anyways, back in the 30s, she she, she started she created something to help children who were having trouble. Uh, they had learning disabilities of some sort, and so she was trying to give them an alternative way to learn. And she started creating something, and and they they started learning really well, and their parents started noticing. And for whatever reason, she started teaching their parents, and then that evolved into oh, this is, we'll call this improv. And someone borrowed it and they started making uh, it, it all about comedy. Mm -hmm. 
and she did that as well. But anyways, uh, she's she's very well known in the improv community as the originator of it, and and she did it for healing and and uh, and growth, um, emotional healing that a lot of these children with learning disabilities had to go through so they could uh, truly learn. Hey, assuming that there are folks listening to us who don't know anything about improv, mm -hmm. I would like to offer you maybe a warm up game that you know it's a really simple one and it's something that people can play they can just pick it up from what they're hearing now and do it on their own okay uh, it, it's really simple it's a word association game and we can talk about it after we do it um i'm just, without giving you instructions uh for the whole game i'm going to ask you to think of an interesting word don't tell me what it is yet and i'm going to do the same and let me know when you have one you can raise you can raise a hand up, uh, raise a finger or something, or just otherwise let me know. Or actually say the word one when you have an interesting word. Just one that you think is fun, personally connected to. Doesn't have to be. Okay, you've got one. Ratio. Oh, no, don't tell me. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, but that's okay, because I actually had a word, um, and I'm going to say it. It was it's piano. Oh, okay. Okay, so so what we're going to do is let's count to three. This is how it how it would uh, officially go. Count to three and say your word. Okay. One, two, three. Piano. Uh, oh, okay. All you right. Say ratio. So ratio. we we're because of the Zoom lag, we're not going to hear it at the same time, right? right. But we'll, theoretically, we said those words. Now, what do those two words connect to in your brain? Don't say this out loud. Don't tell me. But tell me when you. Just say one when you have a word that ratio and piano connect to for you. Don't overthink this. First word, best word. You're good at that. And I'm holding up two, so I'm ready to go. We'll count to three and each say our word. Ready? Say, do it out loud with me, if you will. One, two, three. Chord. Scale. Scale. Chord. Yeah. And so those are our new words. Forget about the other two. I won't even say them. Mm -hmm. But chord and scale. What do those two words trigger in your mind? If you would let go of everything that went before it. Anything coming to mind? Yeah. I'm gonna. I've got one. I'm say okay. one. Yeah. And you got one. So you've got. Two, you say two. And we count to three again. One, two, three. Octave. Music. Octave. And I said music. I went general. And. Yeah. So music octave, <laughs> okay, one, I'm ready. So just those two, octave and music. What does that remind you of? First word, best word, don't try to get it right. Mm -hmm. Have you got one? I was looking away for a moment, sorry. All right, I'm going, I've got two. One, two, three. Ascension. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. I know that's not one word or a word. <laughs> But it just felt fun to say. Uh -huh. <laughs> so ascension and do re mi fa so la ti do are our two new clues. Oh shoot! I wish I knew more about music. <laughs> but first word, best word. I'm going to follow my own rules. One, two, three, falsetto. Circle of eights. Spell that and use it in a sentence, please. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> circle of eights. It's, it's a phrase. Oh, circle of eights. Circle of eights. Oh wow, circle of eights. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to ask you what that means. I, I have, I know that, but it's, from it's something. A, it's 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 music related. You know, I, I'm also a, I'm also a choir boy, so I got a lot ah, of music. And what did I say? Falsetto. Falsetto. Yeah. 
Okay, one. Okay, I'm ready. One, two, three, choir. Acapella. Oh, acapella choir. One. I'm going for speed now. Okay. Um, one, two, three. Madrigal. Church. One, two, three. Gospel. Hymn. Gospel hymn. Hymn gospel. One, two, three. Jesus. Oh, uh, sermon. Jesus sermon. One, two, three. Mount. Messenger. Mount messenger. Messenger mount. One, two, three. Horse. Crucifix. Crucifix. I said horse. One, one two, three. Crusader. Carry. Crusader, carry. One, two, three. Sword. Sword. Convergence. We dance now. Convergence. Convergence. We dance and sing. Convergence. Convergence. Hey. So that's we did is that is that kind of where you're going with this? Are you are you trying to come up with some kind of convergence? So yes. Now we get to talk about it. So on paper, the goal is to come to that word. That's why it's called convergence. Come to the same word. But I found because I was so left brain oriented that I was so frustrated every time we were close and then we got far away and I couldn't understand. How did you come up with that? And my mind was being very critical of my partner. <laughs> and I wasn't having fun. So I started to play a different way. I started to just try first word, best word, mm -hmm. and not think about it, not take time, just sort of access a different part of my brain. So for me, that's the goal of the game, is to access a different non-linear um, non part of my brain, the creative, the right brain. But yeah, on paper, the, the goal is to get to the convergence. That's when you get to dance and sing convergence, convergence, convergence. <laughs> How did that feel when we finally got there? Oh, good. It, felt, it was like, wow, that's that's kind of cool that we came up with the same word. Yeah. Yeah. And what's happening is we're starting to understand how each other, our scene partner, thinks mm -hmm. in a way. And when they go, when do they go general? When do they go specific? where their specialties are, are, are they very left brain? Are they more right brain? Mm -hmm. Do they care about this? Do they not care? Some people just, they don't care at all. They just stay anywhere that uh, it just flies out of their mouth. And some of us, so we yes. Started so with ratio and piano and we worked our way up to sword. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it can feel like we've just gone so far apart, but then suddenly the next, and almost when all hope feels lost, suddenly we're back there. It's, uh, so there's a lot of there's been a, a ton of lessons in that simple little game for me uh, and i like to when someone asks me what improv is like I, I often show them that game simply because it's easy to teach and there are so many lessons in it from from just that word association game and and and, and also you get to not only see what's going on in your partner's mind or how they think but also you get a better idea of how you're thinking where your thinking is yes 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 for example, there was one time there where we had Messenger Mount. Yeah. We were obviously on a religious theme, the New Testament theme. Yep. And I remembered I wanted to stay true to the rules, which are let go of everything that went before it. So if I just heard in a vacuum, I, I tried to erase what the religious part. And if I just heard Mount and Messenger and nothing else, where would my mind go? Oh, sounds like a guy getting on his horse because he's going to go deliver a message somewhere. Right. So that's where I came up with messenger. 
So yeah, it's a practice in non-attachment to whatever has gone beyond before, even though my and then after my, you said horse, my mind went to a crusader. Yeah, and like and another lesson that I've had to learn in improv, maybe you maybe you didn't need to learn it, but um, to not panic partway through the scene, like where are we going to go with this? This is never going to end up in a good place. It's not funny. They're not laughing. I'm not laughing. Uh, but just to trust that if we still if we stay in the present moment. And that's all you and I were being instructed to do is just listen to these last two words, check inside, what does that associate with in my brain or in my being, and then say that out loud. That's all, that's all we needed to do. If we do that, it eventually will lead to some something deeper, something, and that's where we start to understand there's a collective consciousness at work here too, when you're doing that with a big group. We could do this with three people, four people, five people, um, and, and everyone would start to get on the same wavelength. Let's uh, let's wrap this up by telling uh, the audience um, how they can find you and also and more importantly, how they can sign up for your improv class. Ah, well, they can find me through my email address. And uh, one of the ones that I like to give out is take six breaths. And that's all spelled out. Don't use any numerals. Take six breaths at gmail.com. And uh, my website is nhyogacenter.com, nh as in New Hampshire, nhyogacenter.com, no periods in there. Um, that's good enough. Find me on Facebook. It's Jim Reedy, R-E-A-D-E-Y. And I will give you all the information you need there. And then if you want to do some online, uh, some Zoom improv classes, it works really well on Zoom, believe it or not. It works great, actually. Okay, so... Um... Are, are you teaching any live classes yet or are you're still in the on, on in the zoom world um improv no yoga yes i'm teaching in a, in a park here in concord new hampshire um so no not in person that's what we're talking about right yeah yeah, yeah. they're still they're all live but uh some of them are on zoom no uh, now that the weather's getting cooler i'm not doing it i have been uh yeah that's okay. my answer. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> my answer. I'm sticking to it. But I'm hoping to do some soon. Excellent. Excellent. That's so uh, we look forward to uh, checking in with you about that later on. Um, again, it was a, such a, an incredible pleasure talking to you about this. It's been a delight, Bill. Thank you. It's been a, such a pleasure for me to talk with you about this, too. I, I know that you, you were a thespian early on, and I am not. I'm coming to it much later in my life. So it's, it's, it's great to, uh, to talk with someone who's got that background. So thank you very much. And thank you listeners for listening. And we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. For more information about Bill and Nina G, please go to www.vitalbioenergetics.com. See you next time.